Listen, everyone, I'm sure you've all heard the news already. I was with Melo yesterday recording this episode when we found out a few players were affected by the coronavirus and the season will be postponed indefinitely. Our reactions are in real time, so bear with us as we try to get through this tough, tough time, not only for us in America, but everyone across the world. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you're continuing to be safe, making the right decisions with where you're going, how you're spending your time going forward and enjoying your time with loved ones. Enjoy, and don't forget to pull up. Starting indefinitely, games will be postponed. All it took was for one person in the NBA to have it. They were shutting us down. I don't think owners is taking that chance. Some owners came out and said, oh, we, we would rather play in front of no fans. And then some owners argued we should suspend the season. Who created the term, stay mellow? Me. There was so much going on in New York. And it was just like, you just gotta be focused. You gotta just stay in it. I remember writing a post and I said like, stay mellow at the end of it. That stayed with me. When we go into the trenches, where you at? Like, what is your preparation? What is your mindset? What are you thinking about? Are you willing to put your mind and your body on the line and do what it takes to win this one basketball game? Or let's lock in. Like, that's how I judge teammates. Welcome to the Wilt Chamberlain episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 100. 100 to honor the NBA single game scoring record Wilt set for the Philadelphia Warriors in a 169 to 147 win over the New York Knicks on March 2nd, 1962. A very, very long time ago. We also have a former Knicks player joining the pull-up pod today. I love to read the bios of all my guests, so this is like my favorite part of the bios. 10-time NBA All-Star, won a championship at Syracuse in 2003 and was named the most outstanding player. Two-time All-NBA second team, four-time All-NBA third team, NBA scoring champion in 2013, which also happens to be the year I was drafted. NBA All-Rookie first team, consensus second team All-American, Dang, you only got second team. That's crazy. USBWA <laughs> National Freshman of the Year. Jersey retired at Syracuse. Two-time USA Male Basketball Athlete of the Year. I'm not done. Has played for the national team a record four times, winning three gold medals. Um, there's more, but I won't go on. Special guest, Carmelo Anthony. Welcome to the Pull-Up Pod. Jordan, how you doing in New York? I'm hanging in there, but I think uh, what an impressive resume, to say the least, Melo. I am also curious, CJ, how Mr. Anthony got second team All-Americans. <laughs> there was a lot of discrepancies during that time. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to go in detail as to what those discrepancies were, but he's basically saying they, was, they were hating on him because uh, he was a freshman. Big time. Oh, all right. Big time. So, CJ, this has been quite the day, and most notably March Madness is, uh, is going to be a different look. We, we know that now. No fans allowed in the arenas for any of the March Madness games, including the Final Four, which was set to be in Atlanta. And uh, I would pose the question to you guys both. What was your reaction? My Final Four was in New Orleans at the Superdome. And it was 72,000 people there. And I know how big that, like the, the Superdome is. I know how big it was when it was nobody and then we went to practice. So I can imagine how the game's going to be in these big arenas when, it, you know, hopefully Final Four come in, in the national championship game. But just throughout the whole national, the whole tournament, it's going to be bad. I think it's going to be bad. You know, kids got to self-motivate themselves. Coaches got to do a hell of a job of motivating them, you know, motivating the kids. It's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. 
I, on the other hand, have never played in front of 70,000 people. I can tell you exactly what it's going to be like having played at Lehigh University. No offense to my alma mater, but we've had some empty games at times. Used to this. Um, we once had a snow day. We had a snow day my junior and senior year, like twice, where a snowstorm went through the campus. Um, water fountains weren't working. Electric was down. There was a lot of issues. We thought we weren't going to play. We actually went sledding that morning because we thought we weren't going to play the game. They ended up letting us play the game, and I'll never forget it. There was 27 people there um, in the arena. It was basically friends and family, the cheerleaders, the band. And the staff. And the staff. And it was so empty. I don't blame the fans for not coming because our— our actual gym was off campus. You had to take a bus over the mountain and the roads were, were terrible, but it was like a scrimmage. It felt like practice. You could hear everything. You could hear people calling out the switches. You could hear play calls. You talk about motivating yourself. It was unbelievable. And if I wasn't like mature enough to understand that I wanted to play in the NBA, I could see how I could have just went through the motions and uh, not really cared about the game. But since I had a goal in mind and what I wanted to accomplish, I was able to kind of focus and lock in. But um, it's not great for the sport. Obviously, it's great for the health and, and overall well-being of everybody in the country, especially the players and staff. But um, it's definitely going to have different vibes. And I really feel for the kids because playing in the NCAA tournament is is a dream come true. And it's it's one of the best moments in, in, in times I've ever been able to experience. Because of the fans. The fans make the experience. You know, you're the, 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 you're, you're, your university fans, your school, you're, you're, the students get, the, get a chance to travel. They get a chance to go to these different places. They saved up money to go to these places. So I really feel for the fans. I, you know, of course, it's a, it's a health, you know, situation, but the fans is the ones that's really going to miss out. Can you imagine, Carmelo, going back to the Final Four with that massive, it's not even an arena, it's a stadium. Can you imagine playing in front of no, like literally nobody and, and take us back through how big it is and cavernous during those practices? And, and remember, I would imagine fans, some fans were at those practices. Yeah, well, we used to have practice. We had practices, you know, before the games, and it'd probably be, you know, a thousand people, fifteen hundred, two thousand people there watching, and it feels like there's nobody in there. So imagine playing in front of actually nobody. Like that's that's very very hard, you know. And I I I, I commend the, the guys who play basketball, play sports now, who don't have you know the the, the numbers pouring in from a fan base standpoint. It's, it's, it's hard to do as an athlete, and you, you got to dig deep. You got to dig to another level in order to go out there and, and, and compete. We also had the open practice, um, and I was excited about it just because you're in the NCAA tournament. You're able to kind of show you know a little bit of your skill set before the actual game. Uh, you got like warm-ups, you know, layup lines. Everybody's dunking, bringing out their nice dunks. So... For us, we didn't play on TV a lot, so it was kind of giving them a chance to see like who's who. Like, oh, that's number three, that's number zero, that's number twenty-two. Like, who's who looked like they could be good when the game starts, and that was kind of like our audition. You didn't know their names though; you just looked at the number and was like, "Man, he looked." That's what, I'm sure that's what they were saying about us because we didn't have names. We didn't have names on the back of our jerseys for for starters. Uh, we were a low major Nike <laughs> Nike sponsor. Get one pair of shoes, get another pair when the tournament starts. Type of team. How much gear did, did the Lehigh player get, and how much gear does the Syracuse player get? I can assure you that um, the basic black and white colorways models that I received of the uh, the Nikes we played in won't compare to the uh, custom colorways the uh, Syracuse players received. Then in two thousand three, we had I probably received three pair of sneakers. From the team. From the team. And I'm sure there was more that came. We just ain't never get them. 
we used to have people like we we go into stores when you have to run into the equipment the equipment room and and, and like curse the guy out like damn I was like why I was, I, why we ain't get our sneakers why we ain't get our hoodie oh we we're waiting we we're not allowed to give them out until a certain time so that's those are some even though we was at a, I was at a big college big university these are some of the things that we still had to actually deal with sneakers gear guys was coming with their own sneakers. Now we get so much gear, we give it away. I have closets full of gear. I probably gave away 40 bags um, to charity, to Africa, to churches of gear because it's it's ridiculous how much gear we get um, now. So it's a nice contrast compared to what we uh, went through in college. Speaking of the coronavirus, speaking of playing games with no fans, I have to share this. I don't even know if I'm supposed to share this, but... Um, a Utah Jazz player has tested positive for the virus. The team is trying to fly the team out of OKC ASAP. The claim is that no OKC players had contact with Utah players, so there's a concern about the infection. Utah Jazz will likely not play a game for the next 14 days. Damn. Which means this is real implications towards the NBA and the rest of the season if they can't play for 14 days. If they cancel this season as opposed to putting it on hold, but we restart in like June or July and like play the last. That's games. the question. How would you feel about that? I'm not with it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not for that. Let's take this one day at a time. CJ, that's my question. Knowing what we know and the fact that you would not receive a paycheck without games, is is it a no brainer for you both to say let's just play in front of nobody and still get paid and still get ready for the playoffs? <laughs> It is absolutely a no-brainer. It's a, it's a no-brainer, for sure. To go play in front of no fans. You're playing the game you love. That Now you have to look at it full circle. I play this game for free my whole life. I'm for sure going to play it when I'm getting paid. No matter if there's fans or not, I'm going to go play it and get paid. And as uh, long as no one's in position to be harmed, um, we got to wash our hands. we got to do what's best for us and from a cleanliness standpoint. Um, but I think this is this is a drastic change in their plans, the NBA, from the standpoint of figuring out how to cautiously move around this. The fact that a player could potentially have the virus, now that's a real problem. Well, for me, when you look at this, this is how I know it's, it's serious. When This is the first time that all the professional leagues came together and made a joint statement. As far as shutting games down, as far as keeping the fans uh, keeping the fans away from the from the venues. That's when I when I heard that. That's when I know, that's when I was like, okay, this is serious. Do we have we have a real issue when all the major leagues, all the professional leagues come together and have one joint statement. That's when you know we're in we're in trouble. This is this is a serious matter. There's no question, Melo. The NCAA makes about 1 billion dollars for every March Madness, okay? And they made 142 million during the Final Four last year. So for them to throw that money out the door, and we know what the NCAA does and, and how how uh, addicted to money it is. So that that's also terrifying, is it not? Yeah, for, I mean, you got to look at it from both sides. From, from that perspective, from the NCAA perspective, that's a lot of bread to be losing. That's enough to kind of reshift a lot of things when it comes to the NCAA. As far as the players goes, we can adjust. We don't have a choice to adjust. We can play basketball. We're we still going out there to play basketball at the end of the day. So we can adjust to not having fans out there. Would it be different 
100%. But for me as a, as a, as a businessman and, and knowing that, that business, like that's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow. Like losing that much money a couple weeks out of, of, of the NCAA tournament. And looking at the, the Warriors situation, um, they basically announced they would lose anywhere from $3.6 to $3.9 million per home game without fans. Now you times that by, I don't know, 15 more teams. 38? 15 more teams that oh, are supposed yeah. to be playing at home. Right? Lakers, obviously Lakers Clippers share the same arena, but they still have separate income. 15 teams are playing at home on a given night. They potentially could be losing millions of dollars. Concession stand workers aren't going to get paid. Mm-hmm. People that kind of depend on this money um, are going to be losing income. This is something that's literally going to affect everyone. You're talking about $50 million right there. Per game. Yeah. We in trouble. It's time to start diversifying and, and working on, um, you know, they talk about working on your off-the-court plans. And this is when you need to start working on your off-the-court plans. You don't know what's about to happen, man. The collective bargaining agreement and the, and the BRI, the basketball-related income, is about to change drastically, especially if there's no playoffs. If there's no playoffs, the amount of money, they said a Lakers-Clippers conference finals could generate over $100 million for the NBA. There could be no playoffs, let alone the final. The finals generates buku money. No playoffs in general. That's when everybody's watching the NBA. Most of the owners have said that they would rather play and not have fans. Is there any scenario where either one of you would say, I don't want the playoffs or let's postpone the playoffs? Does that scenario exist? No, not for me. I love the, the idea. I, yeah, I would rather just I would rather play. Then just cancel the whole, like the whole playoff thing. I don't want to see the season get get postponed or canceled because it would be hard to mentally step back in after taking a month off or whatever it would be. You know, for me personally, <laughs> speak for yourself. <laughs> it would be hard for me to shut it down for X amount of days past what's the All Star. It's already hard. You come off the All Star break, that refocuses. It's it's whew. All right, I'm back. I'm back to working out full-time, mentally locking in for games, preparing your body to go potentially a month. Yeah, what's the – CJ, what's your number then? What's your what's your amount of time elapsed where you're not in the facility every day working out, where you, where you feel – where you no longer feel comfortable to get back out there? Obviously, Melo, Melo feels fine. CJ, it seems like you would only go like, what, a week? Anything over like 10 days, it's becoming like danger territory because your body, your body gets used to, it's fight or flight mode. Your body gets used to the stress. It gets used to going through it, the back-to-backs, the practices, the games. When you take a break from that and reintroduce, it, and reintroduce your body to it, your soreness is increased. Everything is increased. Your, your chances of getting hurt increase drastically because no matter how you work, it's not going to be the same as working like while you're with your team. Like you can work out individually, like you can tighten up your stuff. But if you take three weeks off, like when I got hurt and I took 21 days off, like my game shape shifted completely. Like how I how I move, how I felt when I would move and run and and guard and play, it felt completely different. Now you imagine like guys that aren't necessarily as disciplined as I am, getting three weeks off or a month off towards the end of the season. You're talking about a lot of potential injuries. Yeah. A lot of things could go they wrong. They're taking three weeks off. Yeah. You give them three weeks, they're taking three weeks off.
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, I got a list of questions I want to ask off the strength. Who created the term stay mellow? Me. When did you come up with this term? When I was in New York, uh, it was so much like... Let's go- get into that. It was so much going on in in New York. So I had to kind of like, it, it was just more of a, like an internal battle with myself. And it was just like, man, at the end of the day, you just got to be focused. You got to just stay in it. You got to stay locked in. You got to not worry about that and not worry about that. And then I was like, you know what? I, I, I remember writing a, like a post on IG and, that's, and I said like, stay mellow at the end of it. And then it, that just that stayed with me. Then I took it to Jordan Brand, and we started doing some, you know, we started doing merch about it. But it just became a part of me. Like it, it wasn't forced. It was just it's a part of me. It's, it's who I am. It's my personality. It fits me, and it makes so much sense. Anybody can say it. Anybody can apply that to their everyday life and what's going on in their life. Right? It's it's, it's you staying you staying in the fire when you're in the fire. Right, and that's that's me. I really love the term "stay mellow." Personally, uh, I think it's something that resonates with everybody, especially uh, in all walks of life. No matter what you do for a living, it's, it's important you stay even keel. Like I'm always in, you know, that mode to where I'm never too high, never too low. Like I'm, I'm sure you probably noticed it. Like I'm a fun, loving, joking, joking guy, and I kind of compartmentalize my life with like basketball life, and that's it. But the fact that you came up with that term is 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 dope. I think that's. That's cool and unique, and people love it. Like wherever we go, people are always saying, "Stay mellow." <laughs> but they saying it because they really talk about themselves. That's how they feel. Yeah, right. True. They might be going. You never know what people are going through. They might be going through something uh, that we would never know. And right? they might. Everybody has, you know, their own personal issues that they have to deal with, and you know, and the stresses of the world, like. At the end of the day, <clears throat> anybody can can apply that to themselves. It goes, it resonates with everybody, like you said. Melo, did being in New York help you create that? Like, if you hadn't been in New York, do you feel like that might not have been at the top of your mind? That mindset, one thousand percent. When I went to New York, I became so creative and 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 like business savvy. Like when I was in Denver, I wasn't really that. You know, I, I wasn't. I was learning. I was learning the game, and and not just basketball. Like I was just learning business. I was just learning the actual basketball game. I was learning the nuances of the business of basketball, right? But when I got to New York, that everything heightened, everything elevated, and 
New York forces you to stay locked in. If you or if you off a little bit in New York, they will let you know. So for me, <clears throat> I had an opportunity to when I went to New York to really like hone in on that. And then when I first got there, people's like, "Oh, it's a it's a he just care about his brand. He just care about his business." At that point in time, <clears throat> I wasn't even thinking about like I didn't even know what my my brand actually was. To be honest with you, I, I I didn't know what my brand was. I had to really New York helped me shape who I am, what my brand is, um, the brand that I've, I've created. My creativity went to a whole nother level because <clears throat> everybody in New York is creative, and you always it's like they 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 pushing you without you even knowing, and they keeping you on your toes without you even knowing. So for me, that's where everything started at when I got to New York. My creativity. Uh, like my 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 mentality changed when I got to New York, talking to different people um, about what it takes to to be in New York. But I always listened to people, but I would never apply any of that because I wanted to deal with my own thing. I wanted to have my own experiences, so I can be able to talk to people about only the things that I've been through. I'm gonna follow here, and before I follow, Melo, I'm sure you see my face change. Got another update. This will be out so I can see it by the time. Uh, oh, no. Starting indefinitely, games will be postponed. Uh, I think I just got that. Starting tomorrow. So we're not playing. I'm under the impression that we're not going to play tomorrow slash today as when this comes out. This is just absolutely brutal. This is where, like, I look at it. It, it forces us as athletes to educate ourselves on financial literacy, what it means, what it means to save money, what it means to start portfolios. Like this is this is that time because this just happened. And nobody nobody knew this was gonna happen. And and as athletes, we never think that it can happen to us. So we're always, okay, we're good. Or we, I got this money, I got that money. It's not until you hit a crisis when you really understand how much money you have. And what do you have in the bank and what you don't have in the bank? And you start paying close attention to taxes and, and, and you know, and, and, and checks and, and what you're spending. It's, it's going to get bad. It's going to get really, really bad. This is crazy. Um, this, this really caught me off guard. Um, I'm sweating. Not because I'm nervous, because I take good care of myself, but like, I'm worried about a lot of players in the league who, like Melo said before, weren't thinking about this ever happening. Like, this isn't something you think is going to happen, but... The fact that revenue, a revenue stream, a big revenue stream, is going to be taken away from a lot of players right now, um, is a scary thought for some people who may not have prepared for a disaster. Um, as the saying goes, you have to really take advantage of your celebrity, take advantage of being in the NBA yeah. or being in the NFL or whatever you are. Network, take those meetings because when it all ends, people aren't going to be as inclined to uh, still sit down and and have those conversations with you. CJ, I got a text from Adam Silver who said, this is crazy. He has seen everything. And for him to say that is, I, I, like, that, Melo said when, when he heard that, you know, certain games were being postponed um, or, you know, we were going to start talking about playing in front of empty fans, that that was his moment. For, for the commissioner to say that, and I'm sure he'll release a statement in the next couple hours, to me, that that's terrifying. You know what's even crazier? 
President Donald Trump says the United States will suspend travel from yeah. Europe for at least 30 yeah, days. For 30 days. Yeah. I just got that text. 30 days? Fellas, this is, not only is it unprecedented, but there's no, it's so beyond anything you could even imagine. I mean, it's it's just wild. CJ, you got to be, you were ahead You were ahead of this two weeks ago when you said you, you with all due respect to fans, you didn't want to take pictures and... They laughed at you. They laughed at they, me. They thought it was a joke. <laughs> and then the NBA came out lie. with a statement. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie. When I came in and I saw that statement from you, I was I was crying. Like I was in tears laughing. I was dead serious. You was the user. <laughs> for, you, you, you were the first one on it as far as signing autographs and all of that. Bruh, all it takes is one person in the league to get the virus and it's a wrap. Which we know someone has it. We know now. You know what's crazy? And we're going to get back into talking about you. You know what's crazy? We ain't going to let this steal your shine. Every, every day when we walk into the practice facility, they take our temperature, right? So they can tell if, like, there's, if there's shifts. But they say you won't have symptoms for 14 days. So your temperature could be perfect. Right. Like I'm 98 or whatever, like right. every day. I could be that's, perfect. That's, 14 days from now, that's they're the going to be like, I'm, I could have a virus or somebody else could have the virus. And you've been great. For 14 days. Well, that's why, Mello, that's what you're saying for at least 10 days, right? That's the whole point is that nobody knows. So until we actually know what's going on, how many players have it, et cetera, staff, then you can't really play. That's what you're saying. All it, all it took was for one person in the NBA to have it, and they were shutting, shutting us down regardless. The NBA was going to go through protocol and go through the meetings and, and talk to the proper channels and people. Once they had the meeting today, I think they already knew Somebody had it, or a couple people had it, and you know I, I don't think owners is taking that chance. Some owners, some owners came out and said, "Oh, we 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 would rather play in in front of no fans," and then some owners argued we should suspend the season. So that should tell you right there the 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 you know how how imperative all of this is. A lot of guys are going to need to meditate on this. I'm gonna have to meditate twice uh, after this podcast. I usually do three times a day, but I'm gonna get four in for the sake of this to keep my heart rate down. You talked about staying mellow. That transition was, that was a crazy transition. You talk about staying mellow in New York and having to compartmentalize and balance the media, the performance, life. What are your thoughts on meditation? And for like people out there, I get a lot of like, I got a lot of parents that listen with younger kids. They listen on their way to work, on their way to practice. Um, how would you structure or recommend structuring your meditation and just like overall mental and physical wellness because it is important it's something that is neglected you know across the world big time I've never I've never early in my career I've never when somebody used to say oh meditate you 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 I used to like I used to frown my nose up at it like meditate I'm not how you do that what do you do right I, I, I wasn't educated enough on on the art of or the art of meditation and the, the effects of meditation I'm not even gonna lie like a lot of this stuff happened when I got to New York, to be honest with you. When I got to New York, I realized that the city alone and the pace alone being in New York, you have to keep yourself calm with, within that storm. Uh, it's, it's a very tense city. It's tense people, very uh, genuine, unique people. So when I started, when I, 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 had, I needed, I needed a, a way out away from all of that tension. So I started to, I started to like listen. I was always into like 
listening to sound and listening to, you know, reading books. And I, I'm a big reader. When Phil Jackson came to the Knicks, he used to do this thing like the Zen, like it was, it was all about Zen with him. And before practice, we used to sit in, in the film room eight to 10 minutes before film, <laughs> before film and, and, and just, you know, you have our Zen mode, right? And I used to be like, yo, what are we doing? <laughs> I mean, you come in as candles lit. I'm like, what are we doing? What is this? Let's just go practice. But then I started understanding how helpful it was. So I, w- I would leave that and I would go try it at home. And I would just sit there in, in, in stillness and in, in peace and just close my eyes and just try to get away from, from the world. And I would, I would snap out of it 10, 15 minutes later. And I would be like, damn, like this is, I feel like a brand new person. So then I started to apply it to my everyday life. As I went to practice, I started to just embracing it. That changed my life, to be honest with you. Like just sitting still and, and sitting in silence, like being at peace. Like I, I wish I knew what I knew now back then, how I can just sit in peace and just be good with a stillness. Like being, being still and, and having a, a sense of stillness is not a bad thing. Right, it actually calmed me down. And, and that actually came along with Stay Mellow, right? Being able to just be in a space where you can just take 10, 15 minutes to just be quiet and just be still and just find your peace. Like that, that really helped me out. Right. And for people out there that'll listen to this and hear it and say, well, how do you meditate? How do you become still? It could be as simple as sitting in a room, no TV on. And just really focusing on your breathing. That's what I started with, uh, focusing on deep, methodical breathing, you know, in through, the, in, in through your nose, out through your mouth, big belly breath, um, just kind of being present, you know, understanding your body parts, how everything's moving, because your mind's going to be thinking, right? Like when, when I first started meditating, my mind would go everywhere. Like, what do I got to do today? What am I supposed to do tomorrow? Like, what haven't I done already? Like, why am I here type of thing? And now I can, I can be present and really appreciate just that, that time away from Everything, distractions, life, basketball, finances, people asking for money, like all the things that get thrown at you um, really doesn't matter during that moment. And um, I think it's just really important that people can, people try it, be open to it. If you need to use an app, there's apps available. And this isn't me like trying to push apps because I don't get paid for this, but um, <laughs> Headspace, Calm, there's a lot of apps out there that allow you to, to kind of find peace. So your point, CJ, when you said, when you first started, it was so many thoughts coming in and out your head. When you sit there and you're able to be in the moment and be present, any thought that come in, you take it one second, two seconds, let it go. Take it one second, two seconds, let it go. That's when you know you're, you're, you're present. When you allow these thoughts to come in and as, as you're sitting still and, 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 and being present, one thought could come in and completely ruin the whole thing. But I, you know, once you once you get to a point of just allowing that thought to come in, okay, this is one thought comes in, let it go. Another thought comes in, let it go. Work on your breathing. I never knew what I never knew how important breathing was until I started to meditate. And then I applied that as I'm working out, as I'm stretching, as I'm getting ready for a game or getting ready for a, a training session. The breathing of that really helps. The breathing is is everything. And my junior year, so my junior year in college, I started going to hot yoga. 
I started going to hot yoga. I started really focusing on my meditation and understanding of everything. And I'm going into my senior year. I was I was on pace to go like 50, 40, 90, like high volume. But the free throws was always my biggest issue. So I was like an 87, but I was shooting like 55 from the field, 52 from three, and like 86 from the line. And that was when I had really started. You were shooting 87, that was a big issue? Yeah, because it wasn't 90. Because <laughs> it wasn't 90. And now it's an even bigger issue because I'm at 75 and it's pissing me off. And I got my, you see that right there? I shot 91.2% three years ago. And that was the year I did focused breathing at the practice facility every day where um, they talk about snipers and how a sniper, um, they basically structure their breathing around like pulling the trigger. Yeah. Like they have to be relaxed. They have to be at ease. And I uh, basically studied that and then did that when I was shooting, like from, from a free throw standpoint of like when to hold the breath in. So I actually would like take my breath and I would hold it when I shoot. And I still do it now, but I'm not making them for some reason. <laughs> but that year, it went in every you time. Might be holding, you might be holding it too long. <laughs> I ain't got the oxygen flowing right. <laughs> but there's just a there's a, a, a way you can structure it so that you're basically at your sharpest point and your most focused point from a breathing point all the way through the body. And the snipers have mastered that that yeah, art of, of being able to pull the trigger uh, a certain amount of pressure basically to uh, do what they need to do to succeed. But go ahead, Jordan. No, I was just going to say with the breathing, what's the how, how do you get to the point fellas where you're 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 able to block everything out, all the outside distractions, even basketball, and just lock in? Like, what is there a magic formula or is it just reps? It's the same as anything else you do, right? It's, it's all about reps. When I first started, when I first started doing it, it was, I used to give up. I'm like, man, I, I, I cannot stay present. I, there's too many thoughts. I'm like, why am I thinking about shit that I don't even need to think about? Like, it's this thought coming in and this thought coming in and, you start opening your eyes and you start just losing, you start losing focus. But the more that you practice and the more that you try to be present, the better you would be. And I went from, you know, they tell you take eight deep breaths, right? And, and, and I went from only could take four breaths and like, I'm done with this. to now going from a five minute meditation session, I could sit there quiet 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes right now and be at peace. And after the first four or five minutes, I'm completely in the moment. I'm not thinking about anything else. And, and any thought that's coming in at, after that, it's like a baseball pitch, right? You, 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 you hitting it right out, you hitting it right out the park. I, I'm, not, you, I'm not letting this thought come in. I'm not letting this thought creep in, no negativity. No, I'm, staying in the, I'm staying in the moment. And the more that you practice and you train your mind, your body will follow. And that's what, it, that's what it took for me. But also being in New York, I keep coming back to being in New York at the end of the day. All of these practices that I'm talking about, that we're talking about, this is what helped me stay mellow at the end of the day in, in, in a city like, like New York. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
We will never forget this day. There were so many questions that I wanted to ask you, bro. Let's just ask. Let's ask. Come on. Let's get get to it. Let's ask. Oh, this is a good one. Favorite teammate of all time besides me? (laughs) See, I gave you you that. You are. I I would say you are one of my favorite teammates. Aside from you, I've played. So when I was in Denver, my favorite, some of my favorite teammates were, and nobody get offended by this because I've enjoyed playing with a lot of people. Like, Marcus Camby was one of my like favorite teammates. And then come along Kenya Martin, right? Then you have my little brother JR. Like that was like my my role dog, JR Smith. Then I come and AI is just like, damn, I've never played with nobody like this before. Like, so we have a different, we have a different dynamic. We was very similar. We had a different dynamic. Um, they both had the braids, tattoos. It was, it was just a a, a, different, a a tough time in our life at that point in time. But then somebody that you would least expect, right? Andre Miller, to me, was like the ultimate ultimate teammate. He's cool as a fan. Yeah, he was just the ultimate teammate. Never complained. Came to work every day. Worked hard. Knew the game. Knew what he had to do to to, to prepare for the game. That's how. That's how I kind of. Engage teammates. Like, what do you do to prepare? Like, what is what is your mindset to prepare for battle? And if I can learn from that, then I feel like you were you're my you're one of my best teammates, right? New York, <clears throat> Lance Thomas. Like to this day, is one of my closest friends, right? He he. I, I was saying New York. He was one of my he was one of my my favorite teammates, my best teammates. Uh, but then again, I had 90-some players. <laughs> so, so you had a lot of best teammates. I had a lot of best teammates. But what I try to do, I try to make everybody feel comfortable with being there. Whether you're on a, a 10-day, a one-year deal, a non-guarantee, you will always feel like you've been there for, for a couple years. Like you've been through what I've been through. So I always try to make people feel like that. One of the things you said that how you judge teammates often by how they prepare, not necessarily like their relationship, but... How does a guy get ready to play? I, can you elaborate on that? So uh, when you ask somebody who's your favorite teammate, they're going to go off of their relationships that they have with that person. How do, how do we get along? Like, how you know, are we familiar with each other? Do we hang out with each other? Like, that's, I judge you off of how do you prepare? How do you come to work every single day? How do you get along with everybody? How do you get along with the rookie? How do you get along with the 15-year vet? How do you treat the audiovisual guy. Like that's that's how I judge people off like my teammates. When we go into the trenches, where you at? Like what is your preparation? What is your mindset? What are you thinking about? Are you willing to put your mind and your body on the line and do what it takes to win this one basketball game or let's lock in? Like that's how I I I, I judge, you know, teammates. And then I can tell you who's my favorite teammate off of that. I like the response, Jordan. I wonder, Mello, how long it took you to get to that point. Like, your first few years in the league, is that how you viewed teammates? Or was there a point where you you felt like you could see the value of preparation and how that can go into being a great teammate? When I first came in the league, I didn't, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't know what it was, what it what it took. I knew what I knew what I knew what it was, what it meant, but I didn't know what it what it what it took to be a great teammate. And I and I say that and I'm gonna elaborate on that because I didn't know what it was like to come in early and leave late. Like I didn't know what it was like to 
take care of your body to ice and get in the ice tub and get the proper treatment and stretch and do it. Like, I didn't know what that meant, right? I used to come into the, I used to come into the training room and I used to see guys with three, four bags of ice and, and, and getting treatment. And I'm like, what are, you, like, what are y'all doing? And they used to always tell me, young fella, one day you're going to be right here. But, I, I, you know, I used to laugh it off, so I didn't really understand what that meant. As I got older, I'm like, damn, this is what, this is what it really meant. You got to take care of your body. You got to take care of your mind. You got to get in the cold tub and you got to get the proper treatment. You got to eat the proper thing. You got to drink the proper, you know, protein shakes and recovery shakes. And like, these are things that should be part of your, part of your lifestyle. I, I didn't understand that when I first came in the NBA. So you wasn't carrying a gallon jug around your rookie year. I wasn't carrying. I wasn't carrying my gallon of of, of water. <laughs> my rookie, year, I could tell you that, not at all. And nobody, to be honest, nobody, nobody told me that, right? So when you in my position, I was 19 coming into the NBA. I'm being handed an organization, so I'm expected to know everything, right? Nobody has time to say, "No, nah, I don't do that," and then do this, and no, no, you got the. Yeah, you got the ball. Like this is this is your organization at 19 years old. I don't know if people was, were were afraid or they just didn't want to tell me or they didn't care about telling me at all. But the ones that actually sat me down, I'm like, yo, this is how you do this. Nah, don't do that. Do this. Those are the ones that I will always, I will always respect and cherish. You know, to to the end of time. Who did that for you, CJ? Did anybody tell you that? Yeah. So I had an older brother. So my brother played. In Europe, so I was able to be exposed to like a different lifestyle, like a professional athlete, but one that had to do a lot for himself. Like my brother had to foam roll on tennis balls, you know what I'm saying? Like in Europe, there's no side baskets. So I would go visit him in Europe my rookie year and they would shoot free throws side by side. You know what I'm saying? So just like little stuff like that to where you had to be really self-sufficient. And then I get to the NBA and I'm spoiled. Like, I have everything that I need, you know what I mean? I go from taking ice baths and trash cans to having, like, a real ice tub. I go from, (laughs) he's reading text messages. I go from, you know, not getting one hoodie and one top to being exposed to, like, a a team that has an equipment manager who literally gives you whatever you need, all type of shoes, all type of socks, compression shorts. I remember my first pair of NBA socks. I was so hyped. I got mad when they threw them out. I was like, yo, why y'all throw out my, my NBA socks? They was like, yo, they were worn in. You needed some new ones. I was like, nah, run those back. Like, I need those. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was just so appreciative of everything. So I just listened and watched how my brother took care of his body. That was the biggest, you know, wake-up call for me. I grew up with East Snow going to his camp. I had Costa Kufis, who was in the league. So I seen how they took care Costa's of their bodies. Costa's that was in Utah? Yeah, Costa's my guy. So I seen how they took care of their bodies. We went to high school together. We played them in the playoffs, man, and I used to be like, yo, who is who is this? Kufa's a great Kufa's? Costa Kufa's a great dude. He's a legend. He's a legend where we're from. <laughs> Shout out to my guy, Kufi. He in uh, Russia right now um, after a great career in the NBA, 10-year career. My guy, Kuf, I got to see. I got to see how he approached the game. A seven-footer who iced his knees, who jump roped, who got to the gym early. Stayed late. Like, he was the best player in our team. He was McDonald's All-American. Like, that's the first time I ever met Rick Pitino, Roy Williams. All of them. They never knew. They had no idea who I was. But they was coming to watch him, and I seen his approach. So I just mimicked that. 
I got to the gym early. I always I iced my knees because I was really short and I was growing because of the Oscar slider in my knees. So I had to ice when I was like 14, 15 because my knees hurt so bad. So I, I was always big on just taking care of my body because it's all I ever seen around me. Now, if I had bad examples set in front of me, then that would have been my downfall. But my brother just made sure I did everything I was supposed to do. And I just wanted to be as proactive as possible. I wanted to hire a chef early. I wanted to speak to the team nutritionist early. I wanted to make sure I maximized my career because, you know, where I come from, a small situation, a small school, um, it was unlikely for me to make it here. So I wanted to make sure I took full advantage and stayed as long as possible. I wanted to overstay my welcome, so to speak, and get kicked out of the league as opposed to just, you know, tricking my way out by not taking care of the little things. So it was easy for me. I was on the table early, and I remember my rookie year, Mo Williams and D. Wright used to be like, Rook, what are you doing on the table? You don't even play. <laughs> Big time. You don't even play. What are Big you time. doing on the table? Like, why are you always on the table getting massages? And I used to tell them, I'm like, bro, I never had this. Like, I never had like a team masseuse. So for me, this was like a dream come true. I'm on the table every day. I'm getting massages every day, deep tissue work, acupuncture, whatever they had, I was trying it. I was like, oh, y'all got some new stuff? Y'all need me to try it? I was with it because I was never exposed to that. <laughs> so for me, it was just easy to just do all the things I was supposed to do because I felt like it was just a blessing to even be able to be in the NBA coming from where I came from. So I was like, I'm going to use every resource possible. No, that's real. And, and that's honestly, that's like a big transition for me, especially now in the, in the, in the, in the league because... You start to, the first thing you do is like, man, back in the day, right? Like I I I hate that when somebody say that. <laughs> back in the day when I played, it was no, I, I hate that. So my my point is saying that is when I first came into the league and you know <laughs> ten, ten, years, ten years ago. He said it. Like rookies couldn't get on the table at all. It was like you no, you you gotta you gotta wait until this guy get off the table and this trainer is done. Like now it's like, it's completely opposite. And now I'm Mo Williams on the team. Like now I'm like, what are you doing on the table? And I'm like, damn, that was me. Right. But then also, so you think about that. I'm like, you know what? Like you, you, we have to support that. Like you're doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You're doing what you're supposed to do. I wish somebody was supported, would, would have supported me <laughs> coming in and saying, Yo, metal, go get go go ice or go get the treatment or go do this and stop eating that and stop doing that. I wish I had that, but I I didn't have that because I didn't have that because people was doing the same thing I was doing. People was eating the same thing I was eating. People was you know getting the same amount of treatment I was getting. It was it's, it's it, the game has totally changed on the court and off the court. Off the court because now it's it's more accepted and and also expected for players to. Evaluate their 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 brand to your point, Mello, and everything they're doing, in addition to basketball. Well, it's it's more emphasis on the actual individual, and just the culture of NBA and professional sports in general, and the emphasis on taking care of your of oneself. I ain't start taking care of my body until six, seven years, eight years into the NBA, when I started really taking this serious. My skill and my talent, I always worked on my game. I always worked on, on, on that. But I was just like, I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm in the gym. I'm working. I'm training. I don't, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. I'm, I'm still coming out here being productive. And, but over time, as you start getting older, you start getting, you know, you start getting bogged down by what you eat. You start getting bogged down by lack of sleep. You start getting bogged down by 
just the the the, the nuances of of being an NBA player, traveling and in and out of hotels every night and road trips and this and that. So you start really understanding the importance of what you eat and, and what you put in your body and 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 and, and lifting every day and then you know, just being in the gym and being active and, you know, active recovery and, and not so much of just laying there getting a stretch. And, like, those are things that you start learning and you start figuring out. But once you figure that out, it becomes second nature to you. You wouldn't still be playing today, let alone this productive, had you not taken those measures several years ago? If I didn't take it as serious, I don't think I would be in – the position I, I'm, I'm, I'm in now. Because I would have just been relying on my skill and my talent and, and everything on court. Uh, but it, it wasn't until I started realizing that the on-court stuff, everything you everything else that you do, that you do, take care of your body, what you eat, what you drink, sleep, and recovery, and all of that stuff, the on-court is just enhanced by all of that stuff. So basketball was something that we've always we've always we've always done. I've always done. I've always been in the gym. I've always trained. I'm a gym rat. But it wasn't until I applied taking care of my body and taking care of my, you know, just everything and what I eat and when I drink and sleep and active recovery and really taking it serious is when the basketball part got enhanced. Yeah, that's great. If you got some more questions. All right, well, one of the ones that kept coming up cuz I put it on social, I I asked people to submit questions was what about Portland and what about the city in the Pacific Northwest have you loved so much where you could see yourself, you know, finishing your career in Portland? I think the biggest the biggest part of it was I had to be right mentally, I had to be right emotionally and, and, and spiritually. I say that because I, I always tell people now is like Portland came in the Portland came at a pivotal time in my life and my career. Like I, I, I needed Portland at this point in time. What I was looking for as as far as on the court and off the court. I needed it. Like I needed I needed this serenity of of being in in Portland. I needed the like this space. I needed this like this me time to figure out me at the end of the day and to get my my mind right and to to focus on my body and and, and emotionally like I, I I really needed I really needed Portland as much as they needed me from a basketball standpoint. <laughs> I need I needed Portland for for other reasons, and you know I, I, I always say you know God don't 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 make no mistakes. And this this came at a pivotal time for me, and I'm 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 taking advantage of it. And as you can see, it it, it shows right. And I'm not even talking about from a basketball standpoint. It's just the happiness and, and and just being here and just being around the guys and being able to love the game again and and, and travel and talk and, and give my experience and give my knowledge to people. That's what's most important to me at this point. I'm glad you came to Portland, man. I think it was a great decision. Honestly, you know, if it could have happened some years earlier, that would have been great too. But, you know, the past is the past. <laughs> he asked you about how perfect this situation has been for you. I think my question is, more so about like how you've enjoyed the city so far, how you enjoyed the team, and then we'll get into like your transition and then talking about your son. But what was it like for that year of not playing basketball? You talked about staying mellow, meditating, um, being able to find yourself spiritually, mentally, having the game taken away from you, thinking about retiring, thinking about like, do I really want to do this again? To having to 
prepare to play again to playing again? Like walk me through those steps. And then lastly, what it's been like for you these last, I don't know, 55 games or 50 games that you've, you've played in this season. So to, to walk you through just the year, it was like when the unfortunate the unfortunateness happened, it was like I started questioning myself, why? Like that was the biggest question of why. Why am I, like why, what happened? What did I do? Did I do something wrong? Was it me? Am I good? Like, can I still play? Like, it was just like all of these thoughts started to come in. And that stuck with me for about four or five months. And it wasn't until I started incorporating myself into my son's basketball and his life. And it was like, I, I started going on trips like with, with my AAU program, I started going on trips and I started to be around the kids. And one part of me was like really embarrassed. Like I'm, I was embarrassed of like being around the kids. You know, kids are very honest. So I, I didn't want to deal with those questions. Give me the questions. Give me Yo, the what happened, Melo? What, unk, what happened? What happened? Like, I didn't want to deal with that. Man, what happened, man? You, you couldn't, I, I didn't want to deal with that. So I was embarrassed to like go to the tournaments. And then my wife was like, Joe, what are you doing? Like, you're going to this tournament. Like, you, 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 my son is like, Dad, you're not going. And I, I used to try to make excuses like, nah, you know what? I, I might be signing with a team next week. <laughs> so I had to deal with I had to deal with all of that. But I was just masking emotions and frustrations. And then I just was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Like, and I had a I had a real conversation with my wife, and she was just like, you know what? At the end of the day, if it's over, it's over. Like, you can't control that. You've been in the league 16 years. Like, who can say that they lasted 16 years in the NBA at your level? Right. right? And I'm just like, you know what? That, that makes a lot of sense, but I still wasn't trying to hear it. So she was like, you know, let's just go. You need to get, a, you need to get, a, you need to get out the house. Let's go, to the, let's go to this tournament. So I went to the tournament, and as I'm at the tournament, I started seeing the love that the kids had for me, right? And it was just like, they they didn't, they forgot, <clears throat> they didn't, they forgot what even happened. Right. Or if they didn't forget, but they were just like, you know what, Melo? Man, forget that. Like, you are, like, you, 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 you our hero. Like, you our, you know, you our guy. You still good, boom. So I'm like, from that standpoint, I'm just like, you know what? Let me start using that as a stepping to a stepping stone to get back, like to get me back mentally. And the more I was in those tournaments with my son and his teams and his teammates, and I'm asking questions and I'm I'm figuring out what's going on. And those are the kids that really inspired me to like not give up. And for that whole year, I would train, I would be in the gym, but I was doing more, I was doing more like mental work, more physical work. Then on the court, like basketball at that point in time was was irrelevant to me. So I had checked out from, from basketball and I disconnected from it because that was the only way that I knew that I can be at peace with walking away from the game at that point in time. And once I became at peace, nothing else really mattered. So that got me through, that got me through the whole year. And then the season starts and it's rumors, it's rumblings. Oh, he's gonna be at this this place and that. But I'm just like, where's all this? Where's all this coming from? None of this is true. 
But I'm still not saying anything. I'm still not coming out publicly and, and talking about it. And then I did the the ESPN interview with Stephen A. Smith, and I didn't really want to do the interview because I'm just like I'm 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 not doing interviews. You guys have this narrative. You guys can continue talking about that. I'm I'm done with it. I'm at peace with. I had already disconnected from the game at that point. I was done with the game at that point. And once I did that, I realized the response that I was getting back from that interview was very positive. And at that point, I was at peace with, like, everything happens for a reason. Maybe that situation wasn't for me. Like, maybe I shouldn't have did that. You know, I started coming to, to those, you know, thoughts and at the end of the day, it was like, Melo, you are who you are at the end of the day. Nobody can take that from you. And then I was with one of, I was with a business guy. I was on vacation and this one it got real for me though, CJ. I was on vacation on New Year's in Cabo. Everybody watching the Christmas games. Christmas, and then we go to New Year's. I'm just like, I'm not even like, this is weird being in it. <laughs> like, why am I here? Why am I here in Cabo on, on New Year's? And then I'm just like, you know what? At the end of the day, a guy came to me, and he's he's very prominent in the business world. He was just like, Melo, what are you, what are you worried about? You got 16 years in this league. You have multiple businesses going. There's nothing else you can give to the league. Even if you decide to to leave today, at the end of the day, you've gave all that you can give to this league in 16 years. If you didn't have all of these other things going on in your life, I would be having a different conversation with you. You don't, you don't need it. So if, if this is your last day, be content with that. And I'm just like, damn, like this, you know, this is somebody that I respect. I respect this guy. I'm like, damn, for him to come up to me and say that, you know what? The game ain't for me no more. And I'm just like, for me to love the game the way that I love the game. And to love something and it don't love you back the same way, I gotta get away from it. And and that's where that's where my mindset was at. So I had to disconnect from the actual game. So January you disconnected. December, January, you was like Yeah, because November, because November November was like, okay, teams could start picking picking up. Okay, December 15th, teams is gonna start going. And I'm just like, once December 5th or 15th, and I'm like, nobody's calling. Told my agent, nobody's calling. He's like, yeah, it's conversations, but I don't think it's anything that you want to talk about. So I was like, you know what, yo, if nothing happened by this day, I'm announcing my retirement. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. He was like, nope, I'm not letting you do that. <laughs> He's like, I don't care how upset you are. I'm like, I'm not upset. I'm really at peace with this situation. I'm at peace with letting the game go. He was just like, I understand that, but I'm not letting you announce your retirement. <laughs> and then... Shortly after that is when he hit me and was like, Portland. And I was just like, I'm, but I remember my son and my wife used to always tell me, why you don't go to Portland? And I used to be like, what? Portland? They were like, why you don't go to Portland? I pitched for us multiple times. They used to be like, Yo, my wife used to tell me all the time, why you don't go to Portland? She was like, Portland is the, that's the space for you. And I didn't understand what she was saying, but I knew what she was saying afterwards from a from a mental from a mental standpoint. She's like, you need to just get away. Like you gotta go. Don't try to stretch yourself out of going to Brooklyn or going back to New York or doing this and doing that. 
Go to a place where you're going to have fun. You're going to be at peace. You're going to enjoy the game again. You're going to get the love back. And then you guys called right after that. And here I am talking about that experience sitting in Oregon. Sitting in a very nice home. A very nice home. A very nice home. I would would say that. If I do say so myself. A very nice home. Follow-up question. Ashley wanted me to ask you what it was like those first few games when you came back getting love in all the arenas and they was cheering for you when you came out, what that feeling was like after going through that year process of maybe I'm done, am I done, I'm done, Portland wants you, damn, I'm going to Portland. I'm into Portland. Fast yeah. forward. It happened what, so fast, what that felt like. It happened so fast, I really couldn't like put it in perspective. Like it, they, I got the call maybe Wednesday night. I'm laying on the couch. Thursday, I'm talking to coach. Thursday, I'm talking to President, Friday is like, you guys, I think you guys were playing in, uh, I think it was San Antonio. San Antonio. It was San Antonio. So I'm watching the San Antonio game as I'm talking to you guys. And I'm just like, I think you guys came back and won that game in San Antonio. So I'm like, you know what? I need to talk to, I need to talk to the coach. Now I don't want to talk to the president because the coach is the one that I have to get along with. I have to, you know, we have to we have to be on the same page. If he don't see the same vision for me, then I'm not wait, I'm not gonna waste my time. And you know, I will say Terry was very honorable in, in stepping up, saying, "Look, we want you here." He made me feel wanted. He made me feel needed. And I'm just like, let me let me let me let me talk to. Uh, That's when I talk, I called Dame, and I'm just like, Dame, what we doing? He was like, yo, let's let's make it happen. And then you hit me later and just like, yo, it's done. I'm like, what? <laughs> I told you, I find out, I find out when it's done. You hit me after, it was like, yo, this is done. Like, what we doing? It's done. I'm like, not yet. So then it was just so I, I never got a chance to like You get the process. Like process it because it went from a conversation to it went from an idea to a conversation to Meet us, meet us in San Antonio. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I, I told him, I was like, we need help ASAP. <laughs> I said, listen, I've been off a year, some change. There's no way I'm about to come back and meet you guys in San Antonio in, in 48 hours and playing this game. And I was just like, I just need, let me just get through the weekend. Let me talk to my family. Let me get all this stuff situated. And I'll meet you guys in New Orleans. And once I got there, it was like, the first couple games was like, this is where, it reminded me of this is where I belonged at, right? It, this is the game that I've always loved. This is the game that I, I've given everything. I've given years. I've given half of my life, most of my life to this game. So this is where I belong. And then for you, when I came, you guys just opened up the whole opportunity of bringing me in and making me a part of the organization, making that easy. Teammates was very easy. The game was, you know, was was very simple. And I just, I took that and I, I've never looked back. CJ, when you hear that, take us through what you were going through of can we sign Melo? How is this going to play out? You know, that phone call you had with him because I was simultaneously hitting you up being like, what's up with Melo? So I want to hear your take. So I'm getting massaged. When I get a massage, I usually put my phone down. So I'm texting my girl. And I'm like, I'm about to get a massage. I'll see you in two hours. So I set my phone down. 
And um, my phone is blowing up. And I'm like, who is texting me like this? Like, I'm getting a massage. Like, relax, right? And I go to sleep. I wake up. I get a two-hour massage. Two hours later, I got mad texts. And I'm like... I was like, I can't, I couldn't have got traded. <laughs> like, first thing I thought was, nah, I didn't get traded. Like, I would be in phone calls, not text. Like, then I'm like, what could we have done to where my phone would be blowing up like this? And I'm getting mad notifications, like, a whole bunch of people, mellow question mark, mellow question mark, mellow, mellow. And then I, I just scroll through all of those and I find Neil. And uh Neil had hit me, like, basically, like, hey. Yada 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 yada. Like, um, I think this is about to happen. It's not done yet, but I think it's about to be done. Um, you have his number, and I'm like, I got a, I got an old number from some years ago. I was like, if he got the same number, then I have it. If not, just give me the number. And he texted me, and it was the same number he had. So I just texted him like, Yo, what's up? Like, I just got off the massage table. Like, you coming to Portland? Like, what's up? Like that. And uh, I remember just people just hitting me like. Yo, is this done? I'm like, bro, I've been trying to get him to come to, to Portland for three years, bro. Like, so y'all know how I feel. <laughs> like, how you feel? Like, yo, I told you how I felt three years ago about the situation. Like, go go see my last post on this situation. Like that. So that's basically how that went. And then they was like, he's not joining us yet. He's going to um, take some time and then join us like Monday. Because I thought he was going to come back for the Houston game. I was like, oh, it's a reunion. <laughs> We about to get angry, Mello. It wasn't a reunion. Mello. That's not a reunion. That's, that's, not, that's, that's, that's not, not a reunion. Get, we about to get angry, Mello. <laughs> that's not a reunion. <laughs> but uh, he, he ended up uh, coming back against New Orleans in New Orleans. That is so great. Mello, my thing with you here was first assist from CJ or first first memorable moment. Did you guys have some kind of, you know, did you did you talk afterward? Like, what was the, what was the communication like during the game or after the game? It was a whirlwind because, mind you, it happened It happened so fast, and then I caught them on the road. So I had to go from, like, New Orleans to Milwaukee to Cleveland. Like, it was just a— Right. It was just right. games after game after game. So I, I really had—I didn't have a chance to, like, like, take everything in. So it was just like, okay, New Orleans is over. Get ready for, get ready for Milwaukee. It was after Milwaukee. We go to Cleveland. After It was just— that's the only thing that I can do. But I remember walking. I remember getting to Milwaukee and like walking around, like outside. It was like eleven thirty at night, and I'm walking outside. Just I'm just taking the stroll because I'm just trying to like take it all in. And I go on these random walks a lot of time, and I'm walking in Milwaukee. It's cold as hell in Milwaukee, and I'm like, this couldn't happen at a more perfect time because. I've been looking for this type of situation and the love that I received, forget from the fans, like that, that was different, but the love that I received from my teammates at, at that point in time, like I, I, would I would never forget that. And like CJ was one of the guys who was just helping me get through the whole process. Yo, if there's anything you let me, if anything you need, let me know. If anything you want to do, let me, like it was all of that. Any, any restaurants, any of this, it was, those are the things that is very helpful when guys is coming into a new situation. Hence why I'm here doing this podcast. <laughs> I got a question for you for some parents out there. So I'm going to be a parent one day. Um, in terms of balancing how much your, t your child spends playing the sport, how did you go about this? Like, 
my brother's having a son. So he's going to go through this phase of like, I want him to play basketball, but I want to force it on him. How do I let it happen organically? How do you do that? And then how do you manage it from there? Obviously, everybody's got trainers playing year round. My business manager's son plays baseball like year round. How do you manage the workload so that he doesn't get tired of it? He or she? I think with, to, with today's culture and society and the youth today, we as the older generation and as parents and as, as mentors, we have to embrace where the youth is at, right? This, where people go wrong is, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. This is not how I did it when I came up. This is not how I did it when we, like, that's where we go wrong at. We can't, we can't shy away from or neglect what our what the youth is going, what the youth is dealing with, or the, the youth is going through, or this new this new society, social media, sports, uh, you know, and, and, and videos, and everybody has their own brand. Like we have to embrace that. So for my son, I I, I embrace him and in, in, in his lifestyle because I, but I also try to put myself into his lifestyle because. You start talking about, I didn't know anything about Snapchat when I came in. There was no Snapchat. It wasn't no TikTok. It wasn't no this. Like, it wasn't none. It wasn't no Instagram. It wasn't no Twitter. It wasn't none. It wasn't none of that at the end of the day. So it's like, what up? We have to embrace my son. So I always ask my son, what are, what are things that you're into at the end of the day? What are you into? But I always observe, and you know, he's doing TikTok video. He's like, Dad, let's do a TikTok video. I'm like, no, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Like, no, I'm not doing a TikTok video. <laughs> I'm not about to dance on TikTok. But I stop myself and I think about it. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to just tell you no. Let's figure out what's the best way to do it. Let's figure out what we can do to be creative. Let's figure out something nice and something cool. But those are the things that as 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 parents and as older people. Like, we shy away from the next generation because we always think that we know everything. And if we always go back to, well, when I did this and when I was here and when I, those days are over with. Because those kids today, the youth today, don't, don't give a damn about none of that. They care about now. They care about turnover. They care about what's happening in the moment. If I want to do a TikTok video and I can get it out to multiple people and multiple fans and people could see me, that's what I'm going to do. It ain't no more privacy no more. So that's what we have to like get away from. So for my son, I try to, I try to put myself in his shoes and his mindset. And when I'm going to these tournaments, I, like I shy away from being with him at, at the tournaments. I'm there with him. I'm supportive. I'm, you know, I coach on the sideline and from the opposite sideline, not on the, <laughs> the sideline. But I try to let him be a kid at the end of the day. You know, basketball comes, I'm, I'm not on him. I'm not, I want him to love the game. I want him to realize the mistakes that he's made. I want him to realize that he has to get better. I want him to, you know, I want him to, to go through the, that phase of life. And then once you get to ninth grade and, you know, that's when I'll really step in and, and, and put, my, put my imprint on what's, what's going on. That's good advice. I like it. Yeah, I was just going to follow because that is great advice on how how hard it is sometimes Melo to to um maybe want your son to to be able to show up at a gym and and have nobody 
like know who he is or or him to well it's it's you know, make his own mark. So, so like, for him yeah. to show up to the gym and and nobody know who he is, it, those days are over with. And I, I'm I'm just be quite frank about that. There's there's no there's no tournament that he's going to show up to or that the team my team is going to show up to, and nobody know who that team is. Oh, they know exactly. Who they he know is. exactly who he is. So trying to go right for me, I, I try to give him the opposite. You know the, the the opposite side of that and like the realness. Listen, they don't they don't give a damn about you being mellow, son. They don't care about that. They want to see what that's what that's about. When you step on that court, they want to see if it's real or not. They right at you. And I, one thing I would say about him, he he embraces that. He don't he understands it, but he don't understand it because he's he's you know he just turned thirteen, so he he know it, but he don't understand it. But he embraces it if that makes any sense. So I condone that. As long as you embrace it, then you know what you know what time it is. You know what people is out for. But I I, I constantly give him you know. Pointers and tidbits and 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 just perspective. Like I try to give him perspective more so than telling him what to do, so he can really he got to be able to figure it out too as well. Because I I'm not I'm not gonna be there as he start getting older as far as being able to tell him what to do. I'm gonna be there as a parent, but telling him don't do this and don't do that and in the games and yelling, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be there as he as he get older because I want him to experience those situations and, and what it's like to I want him to know what it's like to lose and what it's like to 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 be hungry and, and starving and, and people coming at him every every night, not for his game, but for who he is. So he has he has to embrace that. CJ, I feel like you'll be the same way, by the way. CJ's gonna be ten times worse. I'm just like my wife CJ's gonna be like my wife. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna lie to you. My wife is like if anything happens, if my son don't if he don't run the lane, she's on the court. <laughs> she, That's great. If he don't, but it's 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 good though, right? Because she really knows the game from being around me. I'm for gonna so be long. very quite frank with my kids, and it's probably like a, a necessary evil. Yeah, a realistic. And right. you got to have the balance from your partner. Your partner, you and your partner can't be similar. It's or it's it's trouble sometimes. No, my wife is like straight. It's right to like, the point. Like, but she's she's straight to the point. But she's also she knows basketball, so, so she, she knows what's right. supposed to be right. She's telling him right, but it's the, the way she's saying it's it. It's a delivery. <laughs> <laughs> it's the delivery of how she's telling him, and then I gotta be the guy to be like, yo, you know what? Look, look at it like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be my wife, and I'm gonna be the one like. X, Y, Z needs to be done like X, yeah, Y, yeah, of Z. Of course, of course, of course. My last question before we let you go, well, before we go eat, because <laughs> the night is never going to end now. Um, advice to people out there aspiring to be the best versions of themselves. A lot of people ask, like, how do you become successful? How do you get in this spot? How do you stay so even kill? How do you balance, you know, businesses, basketball, relationships, et cetera? What's your advice to people out there aspiring to be the best version of themselves? Even, even kill for me came later. Like it, it, it was based off of experiences. It was based off of things that I've been through, and I think everybody' experience is totally different. Uh, people ask me all the time, "Hey, can you tell my son how what it what it takes to be great?" For me, it's hard. Like it's 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 very hard for me to tell somebody else how to be great, and. I always, I always said that. So people ask me like, what, what, what do you mean? What I mean by that is, 
I've I had to go through it in, from a different way, from a different road and a different lane. I went through so much to become who I am today. Ups, downs, transformations, being mentally, you know, having mental stability and having emotional stability and learning who I was as an individual and, and as like I had to I had to figure that out. Those things don't happen overnight. Like being great doesn't happen overnight. And I'm sure anybody who's considered great would tell you it doesn't happen overnight. But in our, and what we do, people look at us as, yeah, but you, you, you're this, and and this came, this came easy to you, and this came overnight. No, I've been playing this game of basketball since I was eight, nine years old. At the end of the day, we're talking 17, 17 years in professionally. And I'm sitting here telling you, it took me eight years into my professional career, seven years into my professional career to start realizing what it meant to be great. And I laugh about it now. We laugh and joke about it now after practice and before practice when we're there. I'm like, y'all don't want to, like, today we're going to be great. I'm, I'm, I'm joking about that, but I'm also serious about that because at the, at the end of the day, I know what it takes to be great. I know the work that it takes to be in my position. I know the I know the mental capacity that you have to have to be in this position. So to answer your question, what it takes to be great, it's consistency, it's knowing who you are, it's being willing to embrace the challenges, is 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 being willing to like be in the fire and stay there and you know, getting out of that fire, like that for me was, that was a big point. Going through something, staying in it, like that being in the eye of the storm was was very big for me. And once I realized, okay, I'm in a storm, let me just center myself in this. And no matter what happens, never try to control the outcome. The outcome is going to be the outcome at the end of the day. And if you don't try to control the outcome and you just go with the flow and you just do what you have to do, then things will, things will fall in place for you. So that's what I would say to people who try to be great. Don't do something to see the outcome. Do something to go through the journey and, and, and go down that path and go down that road. And as long as you know you did what you have to do, the outcome is the outcome. You can't control the outcome. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Stay mellow. At the end of the day. If you don't love it, leave it. When all else fails, stay mellow. Stay mellow. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you coming on the podcast, my friend. Yes, sir. Once again, we want to thank all our listeners for tuning in faithfully to the Pull Up Podcast. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to Pull Up. Pull Up. And wash your hands. <laughs>